This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. Today we are joined by Dr. Therapy Tan as she encourages us to study Myanmar through food, challenging paradigms, and connecting universities with communities. Hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and with me is Dr. Therapy Tan. Uh, welcome to the studio, Therapy. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, uh, she just gave a great presentation to us on a, uh, an interesting project, a teaching project that she's involved in um, that's called Humanities Across Borders, Food as a Lens of Cultural and Historical Studies. So give us a, give us a sense of what that, what that is. How are you using food as a lens in your teaching? So the idea is to bridge universities with communities that surround them. Also have students interact with the communities. So it is under a broader goal of revitalizing the civic role of university in countries like Myanmar, where the universities and the communities have been segregated for so many years. So we're trying to bridge two communities together and have students learn from the community members and also problematize the issues that community members um, embrace or witness in, in their everyday life and also have community members' voices reflected in the curricula. So this is the, the overall goal of the project. And to do that, we have to find creative ways to do that. Um, so one way is using um, a methodology that will allow us, uh, allow us and the students to do that. And so one way is using food as a as a lens of study. Um, f- so that my students come from a history department of Yangon University, so I think it gives, it gives them uh, a, an opportunity you know, to problematize food and you know, to study history uh, and the cultures behind food. So this is how the project came about. So in, in campuses across Myanmar, I guess for our listeners, um, it's, it's, it's more than just the... You know, we might we might think at, at universities in, in in the United States, like well, well, there's a there's a there's a divide between the town and the gown. Or, you know, that relationship is not like, you know, as integrated as it should be. But there's some there's some real like um, physical barriers, right? To the, the it's not, these aren't these aren't open campuses in the way that um, we might think of a North American campus. Is that right? That's right. The universities physically have gates, so and then the students, um, you know have to show the IDs to go through the gates and the yeah and also the 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 the, the universities have been the hot bed of student activism you know since 1920s you know up to 1988 and the 1996 the government physically removed the universities from town centers so uh, the uh, these days if you look across Myanmar uh, most universities are outside of towns and and that is the intention behind it so that the students cannot really meet the communities and then you know become part of the the local the movements the civic movements so so this is uh, a time uh, to bring the two communities together yeah so you 
you have these history students and um, you design a curriculum that uses the uses really the, the, the country and food as a as a classroom. Um, so tell us about tell us about what a what a typical kind of um, uh, an, an assignment or or kind of a, a, a research trip looked like for you and your students when you were leaving the campus. So uh, during the first meeting, I asked students to go out to the streets and just observe uh, what kind of food has been sold and consumed around them, and then ask them, you know, to pick five or six different everyday food items for this research. For example, one group came back with lapet, the pickle tea salad. Mm. So the students follow street vendors and try to understand the operations behind it, for the how the vendors prepare the food and who come and buy the food and what time did they come and how much um, did they cause. And, and, then, and then also start asking questions whether the food has been always like that. They, sometimes they don't have to ask questions. They just have to observe because they, the typical uh, pickle tea leaf is very typical um, food in Burmese culture. And then once they see a certain type of street vendors and then the type of presentation that these food uh, vendors make to Lepet, they started noticing how different it is uh, from the picture that they see in magazine, in school, uh, the textbooks, and also the government campaigns about Lepet and about around the um, tourism. And then they started asking questions about why is there a difference between the pictures that they see in the magazines and the way that people really eat uh, food in the streets? And then they made make notes, and then we we sit we sit down together and uh, they look at the notes and then uh, come up with a set of questions. For example, the students want to find out why the vendors are always men, and also mm. why they are. Migrants from other cities, hardly, you know, um, you will see a, a, a local person selling it. And also why the form of presentation is changing so much because, you know, to give you an example of those who don't know what lapel looks like, it is uh, pickled tea leaves usually are presented in the center with different pies or beans around them. Now it is all mixed. Rice is added to it, even uh, fried eggs is ad- added to it. So it has been um, changing from kind of hospitality item that you give to guests when they come to your house to a all-contained single meal for people who cannot cook. So there's whole economy and whole um, you know oven transformation behind this simple presentation of food. The students wants to find out more. So we um, also decide what kind of methodologies they need to know. And then for this particular short assignment, uh, we decided that they need to learn techniques and the methodologies and the tools. For yeah, I, w- I was going to ask, what kind, of, what kind of training did you need to send them out, uh, out into the field with? Or oral hist- interview and oral history? I mean, I guess talk about that a bit. Okay, so yeah, that... Um, the main methodology is the oral history. So the students uh, have to interview uh, street vendors and trace the changes behind it. So what happened and why um, 
did it happen the way that it happened, right? So traces all the changes. So they, I, I taught them uh, interviewing techniques and all, and then the, the the scholarship behind the oral history and you know how it is to popularize uh, people's history and then you know embed it in the uh, and a real and a real micro history of like of like a, a particular vendor or a particular like food or something, right? It's it sounds like they can get they can get really deep into the details. That's right, and also other uh, you know, logistics such as you know, um, setting up an appointment and you know, the ethics behind an interview and how to keep records and how to archive them and so the you know, public can access to it. It is not, not just as, as a, the history or the, the story or the project, but it, is, it will become the larger part of the whole, you know, the kind of history below project that other students can do. An so, archive, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the what did the what was the response of um, the the vendors were they kind of excited that someone was taking an interest in them was they were they confused at what, you know why are why are people so interested what was the what was kind of the the the, the typical response of of the food vendors initially it was a a, a surprise and also. Anxiety, because you know, uh, yeah. when someone interviews a street vendor, it is often from municipality or like public health department. <laughs> right? Do you have a permit? Uh, Do you? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, to talk to people from any institution, you know, uh, worries mm. of uh, people in the street. So that initially there was an anxiety, but yeah, how did uh, you assuage those fears uh, of the vendors? Uh, I think that the students uh, did a good job of you know uh, the. Associating those anxiety from the vendors because they, first of all they are young and then they they're they're trying to learn more about the food and then you know the the, the the preparation behind it the history behind it the culture behind it. though they're acknowledging the knowledge that the vendor has and then the vendors uh, gradually seize it so he is not just the person being not just the person being interviewed but all so, experts exactly taking the role of educating the students who know nothing about this yeah. so i think that uh, realization of the uh, the different roles that they have you know and it helps uh, the, the the project Val- valuing the the knowledge and the contribution that they that the vendors have and that, that uh, taking it taking it seriously that that seems uh yeah you know you know people who they spend they spend a large chunk of their lives doing this and and you know it's a it's a marketplace so there are a lot of other places that people could eat so they probably have to you know they 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 need to do it well um to 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 make it and so to get to to be taken seriously um is uh is probably is probably the most important uh pathway into into those uh those conversations um so the so the students uh they pick a they pick a topic or they or or a, or or a, an area of focus and then um, do they follow it uh, over time? Does it happen just in one day or how did how did the kind of um, research plan go? They did the interviews over the course of two weeks, uh, but this is just the beginning of the um, the longer project that they have uh, for the requirements of the degree, right? So this is just an introduction to the communities and sort of the community embedded project that they could do. So this is kind of like opening or introducing them to different types of activities or the engagement they can do 
uh, with the communities and embed their research in the, the project. So they did the interview over the course of two weeks, but this is also part of the longer-term uh, dissertation project or the thesis project. So they will use this and then you know, uh, develop it further. like if they're if they're really paying attention to to um, these these people and the food and the vendors in, in historical and anthropological ways that they're gonna they're gonna in, the students are gonna encounter um, some pretty big in, in important issues about about gender about identity about ethnicity about socioeconomics um, any 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 examples of kind of you know, the moments where the light bulb went on for the students about kind of seeing um, and and understandings that they that they didn't have before by by focusing on these subjects. Exactly. Um, so students see a plate of food in front of them, you know, um, and then they start to find out who is preparing them, who is selling them, and then they see different pictures. So La Pet, for example, uh, pick a tea leaf, is presented to them, you know, and then repeated in the uh, the writings and the, you know, media as a part of Burman, Myanmar uh, identity and culture. But they're Muslims selling them. They're, they're, the mm-hmm. Chinese consuming them. So, right, so they, 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 they start to... to they, the, the vectors of Burmese food ways are Muslims. Yeah. yeah, the um exactly. And then um uh, they they cannot ignore the diverse um you know faces and diverse cultures behind this um uh the, this food and also the interactions between the vendors and the um different communities. So uh what is lacking in the curricula and in their textbooks is right in the face when they go out to the street. So they... they right, so it might be like all Bama kind of identity and, and, and history represented and then suddenly on the street. Exactly. exactly. So the way that you know, students are taught history uh, and then culture has been challenged right away at the beginning of the and the, the project, and the students have to acknowledge that. And then, then they, they start to find out ways to, to learn those, uh, you know, uh, diversity and diverse communities, and then in the long term, I hope that you know this will help push the universities, you know, through the students to make the curriculum become more inclusive. You know, that that is uh, another goal of this uh, project. And and it's a, um, I don't know if, if safe is the word, but it's a, um, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't have to have an agenda or doesn't have to have you know. Um, a kind of uh, um, uh, something that might worry, um, you know, <laughs> a bureaucrat about what, you know, we're just we're just simply understanding food and we're understanding the the, the cultures that produce it. And um, I I, uh, I imagine that that's uh, that's um, w- whether whether calculated or just it's a it's a it's a happy coincidence. But that that. Much more so than if you're asking them about their sovereignty or their political rights or their right. It's I mean it's a, this is a, um, uh, a a more palatable way or safer way to to interact with them. Am I right about that? That's right. So um, you know, 
on facade, students are just studying food, right? Even though there's so much politics behind the food. So using food as an entry point, um, Right, rather than Close. rather than conflict in the in the in the headline, it's you know food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So kind of, kind of kind of innocent itself, but the technique is is powerful. And then almost every single project comes comes back with very strong political messages. You know, uh, after they have done the project. So in a way that it is safe because you know it doesn't attract. Uh, headlines or you know the uh, the attention from the the government but that the way that the, um, the 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 project is practiced or they contacted is challenging uh, or you can also say risky in certain sense uh, because the students are out in the streets asking sometimes you know uh, provocative or politically sensitive questions you know uh, for example you know uh, uh, the they, they, they learned, uh, one group learned uh, the prevalent culture or how embedded the culture of uh, beta chewing is in the community. So they started realizing that the government campaigns uh, to deter people from chewing beta is failing. You know, this is just their first-hand knowledge just by interacting with the vendors and people who chew beetles. So that, that kind of questioning of what is going on around them from the government programs, is it is dangerous or, you know, the uh, risky, right? So the, we are exposing students to that uh, level of uh, sensitivity or, or danger. But, you know, I think that is unavoidable if we really want students to be, um, you know, civically engaged with the community. So because they are representing the communities, uh, the problems through their projects. So I think at some point that we have to acknowledge that you know, this project has its own risk. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, the, 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 the state narrative might be that, you know, beetle, beetle is bad, it should be banned or certainly discouraged. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the end of the story. But just observation uh, will tell you that uh, everyone is chewing beetle and it's that, so that clearly you can, you know, you can, you can connect the dots yourself between, uh, you know, government mandate and how it is applied or isn't applied in the, uh, and, and, you know, conclusions can be drawn about efficacy and, and, and you know, legal practice. And um, so it's, uh, it's kind of a, uh, the, the, the real versus the ideal and students are, have to sort out, you know, and, and I imagine that in the, maybe the faces that are represented or not represented in their textbooks and those have to be, um, those have to be, they have to confront if they're out in the field that, that that's there, there's a, there's a disconnect, um, or, or maybe with gender. I mean, you, you've, you've written a lot about, um, kind of the book on women and, in, in Myanmar, uh, were students' notions challenged about uh, around gender and, and food as they went out in the field? They, they are, yeah. These, for example, when they look at the vendors, um, almost every vendor, especially for the, the street push cars, are, are, are male, right? So even though, um, you know, the, the traditional notions of, you know, the uh, feminizing, the cooking, and, you know, the right. so, so it's entirely different. And then they start questioning why men are selling this food, right? Is, is, is the uh, woman afraid to 
go around the um, uh, the streets with the pushcarts. Uh, so there are two actually different hierarchies uh, in the street food too. So people who push the cars are often men, and people who, you know, um, were making it or no, the uh, the the go around the streets uh, on their uh, the baskets on their heads, you know, mm. the, uh, they carry them on their heads. People with very low investment are often women. So then now they see the kind of economy hierarchy between men and women out in the streets, right? These are the the a little bit sophisticated topics that you don't really uh, get to teach the students. And then, you know, and also it directly challenges the, the national narratives again that, you know, women have uh, equal rights and equal status in the society. They said, no, the street vendors are not equal. You know, uh, all the street, uh, you know, uh, pushcarts vendors, almost all of them are men. And, you know, but women with low, uh, people with low investment, you know, people who carry food on their food and go around are women. You know, why is... Is, is there such a case? So students also begin to question those uh, those narratives that you know that they they learn in test books. You you also did so you this was this was work that you did in Myanmar, but you also had a had a similar project that you that you that you rolled out um, in in Taiwan. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that how that played out. The Taiwan project is a bit shorter because it's during the eight-day intensive course. So I introduced a group of Taiwanese students to uh, Burmese or Myanmar neighborhood uh, in Taipei City. So you were, you were teaching language, right? It so is this language, is a language and culture. Yeah, language and culture. Yeah, okay. so it's uh, called Huashin Street. Uh, so students... Uh, um, interact with the again the the, the shopkeeper at this time because they're not selling food in the street they have their own restaurants and then yeah true food they uh, uh, try to find out more about you know Burmese culture Myanmar culture and then also uh, the unique that uh, Burmese immigrant community in Taipei City and uh, in in Taiwan so they they learn all these um, Topics uh, within their interactions. Um, I'm 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 just guessing a little like like transnational uh, issues and and uh, overseas overseas Burmese and overseas Chinese and overseas ethnicity. Like what um, uh, had they had had the Taiwanese students uh, thought through any of those um, min- minority majority issues before? Or was this kind of a an, an eye opener for them? The students, to be honest, did not know what to expect uh, uh, because the, the nature of the methodology and the project is very unstructured. So uh, I asked students to pay attention to also the sights, smells, and sounds you know that, that they will encounter when they visited the neighborhood. And then the students uh, uh, noticed that you know the, the smell in the neighborhood is very different. Uh, some of them even couldn't take the, uh, the, the pollution because it is more polluted uh, in the neighborhood than you know the areas that they would normally visit. This, most of them have never been mm. to the area. And then also, uh, through the stories, they begin to problematize things. So, for example, they didn't see any Taiwanese workers in the kitchen. So they uh, asked uh, why, because is there integration problems between two communities? So just through simple observations, they started asking, you know, big questions, you know, and and so, um, yeah, so the students uh, 
did not know what to expect in the beginning, but at the end of the project, they were really surprised by a huge number of findings they see. And then they, this is the beginning of Southeast Asian students. So I think this, this lays a very good foundation of uh, what is possible during their four-year course to study, right? So this is a kind of a very quick introduction to all the different topics, you know, Southeast Asian diaspora communities face, not just in Taiwan, but, you know, in other countries, yeah. Yeah, and our and our our students, um, what, at whatever university we're at, I mean, because of um, because of immigration and uh, you know the the there are there are Southeast Asian communities um, almost everywhere that you are at. You might you might not know them, you may not be aware of them, but like um, I guess a challenge to our our listeners who are educators is to think about um, really directly. Um, uh, finding and 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 building a relationship, and then um, engaging our students with those with those uh, with those communities uh, around. I mean, we're 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 a bit lucky in in Chicagoland. We have a we have a we have a fair number of uh, um, individuals from Myanmar of all of all ethnicities. Um, but uh, um, have you found have you found the 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 Community, Myanmar communities in, in around us as willing to participate as say the the ones in Taiwan. Yeah, um, the well, I I have been um, talking to people who work with uh, Myanmar communities around the cup and. Um, they're really receptive to the idea, and uh, of course, you know all the refugee communities uh, are often uh, worried about you know people coming in and asking them questions. So uh, I think we ha- really have to be uh, culturally and uh, politically sensitive to those uh, anxieties. But um, also, it is n- more than engagement between uh, the students and the communities, right? And also, uh, this is. Uh, this could be a good pedagogical tool in a sense that we are uh, reassessing, reviewing uh, the, the way that we teach students, right? So the communities are changing so much, but you know the, the, the scholarship, uh, the literature that reflect those communities uh, doesn't change that much, right? So when you let students uh, to find out things in the communities by themselves, uh, the students say, See, start seeing the gaps in the scholarship, you know, which students normally learn in the final years or even, you know, masters or PhDs. They can start challenging that right away. Like Exactly, yeah. So um, you are trying to break uh, that model of teaching and, and letting students do uh, the research, right? So the, now the fee work is the, the, the beginning of the, the process rather than in the middle or the, the later stage of the project. So the, the, the students, uh, I think, in that sense, uh, become more liberatory, and I think even kind of empower because they know what is lacking in the scholarship, and they have a role to contribute to it, right? Um, rather than hoping that you know the 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 scholarship will be of a value to uh, to the existing one, that they, they knew that it will be valuable right away if they can uh, they contributed uh, significantly or work on project really deeply.
an- another interesting part of your of your of your in- initiative is to is to have students publish their findings kind of kind of right away. How how are you having them do that? Yeah, to, during my visit uh, to England this past summer, uh, I was talking to a, a, a senior uh, a scholar professor, uh, who um, Mandy Seddon, who works on uh, Kachin in Burma. She introduced me to this uh, page flow digital storytelling platform, and uh, and then I found that platform, and then so the, it's called Page Flow. It's, yeah. it's called Page Flow. Uh, it's uh, a, a, a designed by a company in uh, Germany. Um, so I find that uh, certain news agencies uh, these days are also using the technology. It is just the, um, you know, you narrate your story uh, on a digital platform. So that, uh, it says page flow. The story is actually flow, right? So and then, and then the platform has a tool where students can put all the stories together, you know, upload this, uh, the, the images and then the sounds and the videos. So the, the students are you know, from g- digital generation. They know how to do things, right? So the way that they write their stories on that platform reflect how they learn too. So so their, their learning style and the presentation style and the, the communication style, I think, match uh, on this platform. So it is another pedagogical tool that I use with my students. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, and it visually is very appealing. It's it's like a, it it moves like a like a nice coffee table book or something with like you know, great images that you obviously I'm guessing you put in the background and then this kind of text that uh, um, that looks more like a um, something you something you might see rather than just full of dense text. It's it's it's. Much better than a PowerPoint, and and uh, not as not as heavy laden as a as a journal article or something, right? It looks it's something that you can uh, that you can get information from, but actually maybe have a readership that is that is non academic as well. Exactly. Yeah. So often, you know, the the publications that we do in higher education is. Um, intended for only three, four readers. You know, if we get ten hundreds, we're lucky. <laughs> so this is also trying to to challenge that model, right? So if students find out some new things, they publish them right away in a format that a lot of you know people can access. So I think this platform allows that, and also it empowers students because they they you know they don't have their papers just sit on the teacher's desk. You know, it is out in the in the open. You know, for other people to read, to critique, and even to teach them or to share their knowledge with. Kind of is so the idea idea of uh, co-producing knowledge, you know, um, is, is there, yeah, is reflected in the way that the students presented the story. And I don't know if your experience was, was this, but I, I found, I, using, using different, different platform, encourage students to kind of uh, constantly publish their stuff to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, into the World Wide Web. And um, I found the students were more self-conscious um, about, producing good work if it was going out to the scattered to the winds in the internet as opposed to if it was just handed into me even though I'm the one giving them the grade I'm the one you know that they you would think like oh I'm giving it to my professor I'm going to make sure I always have my best work there there's there's an interesting psychological thing that happens when they know a bunch of their potential peers might be reading it that they they do a better job or they they take it more did you find that 
Yes, I did. And also, students are more accountable to yeah. what they uh, wrote and how they wrote it because you know they are in a way representing communities' voices and communities' knowledge, and they want to make it right in a sense. You know, so rather than they are uh, just fulfilling the you know what the student uh, what like your checking a box, yeah. Asks. yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's that sounds great. So um, this is a this is an awesome project. Be sure and um, we'll, we'll we'll want to hear back in the future as as uh, as you get you, you you try this out in in in, in other um, avenues. Um, anything anything else coming up you want to you want to tell us about to be you know you you just got back from a, a conference where you presented some of some of this right um what what else uh, any any plugs you want to give for uh things you're involved with yeah so uh, now um area studies you know um, since for example southeast asian studies are at a time where we look uh, inward and uh, I'm beginning to question you know whether area studies are stay relevant right uh, how can we rethink the area studies uh, so I think this project uh, could contribute uh, to to further this the discussions in the sense that you know I, I presented my methodology and the, the the findings on a panel where someone else from uh, University of Gaslinburgey in Senegal presented about street food and we're on two different continents yeah but you know that the findings and the the, the, uh, the way that we uh, you know have street foods both in Senegal and Myanmar there's so many parallels you know the similarities and then you know the, the comparative uh, research or collaborative research you know through street food for example you know that you know two um, uh, two countries that you would not normally have on your radar you know when you think about area studies I mean it's made possible right through this kind of methodology so I mean it is just a very micro or uh, small project but I think it has a lot of potential to challenge a lot of uh, paradigms in terms of you know the way that uh, the area studies is perceived and uh, and talk about and discuss yeah yeah well thanks it's very exciting and um I mean, you're picking food, and Southeast Asia is is a, is a brilliant move because <laughs> it's got some of the best in the world, as we know. Um, well, thank you for thank you for coming to our studio therapy, and we'll uh, we'll hear from you again soon. Thanks again for inviting me. Yeah, thanks. Crossroads would like to thank the Vietnamese group CBC Band for today's music, "The Greatest Love." And GU for production assistance. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.